Beneath the clothes, we find a man. And beneath the man, we find his nucleus. Hello, everybody, and welcome to A Hispanard. You know, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is loyalty. And one of the things that I've been wondering is, why do people give their loyalty over to things like, uh, you know, uh, media companies, um, devices, uh, you know, certain genres, uh, there's this very weird instinct to want to move towards defending something that you enjoy. And I'm not going to say love, although people throw that word around like crazy. Uh, I'm not going to say love because... I think as I've gotten older, well, I know that as I've gotten older, the definition of words, their meaning, the intent behind them, um, those things have become more meaningful to me over time. I, you know, you can, you can love your family, obviously your friends, your pets, uh, but I don't know that I believe or agree that it's healthy to say, you know, you love the X-Men or Batman or, you know, some whatever. Even to say, you know, I, I, I love this book um, or this music or, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't agree. I think you, you appreciate it. I think uh, it's meaningful you in a particular way. Uh, or is meaning to meaningful to you in a particular way um you know i think it's inspirational but the the word love is uh it's very intimate and and i think it you know it, it this is just me maybe uh, maybe i'm completely off on this but i just uh i i think people misuse words a lot of the time including myself i'm like the one of the biggest misusers of words uh particularly because i i hear something that sounds good i forget the definition of it and then i apply it to um something in in the incorrect way and this is where i guess part of what i'm getting at or or part of what um this whole thing is about is uh People misusing words because they don't understand the definition of them or redefining words where they have a very specific meaning. And so the simplest example is you've got the word bear. So you've got two types, right? You've got B-E-A-R and then you've got B-A-R-E. So one is an animal, one is like naked, basically, or, you know, yeah, unclothed or however it is that you decide to apply it. Uh, she laid her heart bare before him. You know, she 
put her naked heart out in front of him. Uh, so it's like a, you know, expression. But anyway, so I think words mean a lot. And I think it seems like, it feels like we're, we're in two modes in society. We have never in some ways been dumber and less educated. And in, and in another way, have not had, uh, you know, we're in a period of time where we have more educational um, training, background, understanding, like almost everybody that you come across can read and write pretty well. You know, they, they, uh, that there's levels to everything. So almost all of society is now, um, uh, what's the word, you know, basically where you're able to read, write, do math. Uh, everybody's educated for the most part. They're just levels of education, uh, depending on the individual and, uh, which is a complete blessing. But one of the things that has come along with that is as we've Gain more knowledge as a society and as a people, we've also been lazy in that knowledge and that information and how we use and and uh, how we use words and what our meaning and intent is behind those things. So, I was thinking about it over the weekend. Love and what? What's the other word? Um, loyalty. Uh, you know, being on teams for for a variety of things like i i see it all the time and it's amusing to me when you're on social media and and it depends on which social media you're on for the most part the majority of this happens on on twitter slash x uh not so much on instagram it also this also happens a ton on facebook where everybody's opinionated about any given thing, whether it's the medical field or it's politics or it's events that are happening in the world, or it is media, you know, comic books, movies, whatever. Uh, Instagram's a lot less of that. It's mostly you post something and then you put a little blurb under it and then people heart, you know, they like it or, or, or they just move on, whichever. But uh, yeah, when you go to uh, something like Twitter, you'll notice that or you'll see rather uh, people trolling and they uh, are, are trying to get a, you know, a reaction from people uh, because it's, it's hugely beneficial, right? On, on that, uh, on that particular platform, the more engagement you get, if you're getting paid, the better it is for you. If you're not getting paid, it'll, it might make you get you closer to getting paid. So you start to see, these really absurd takes on a variety of things. Like, so the funniest one to me is whenever you see this uh, deluge of, of opinions of how great something is, and, and I do not discount that it might be great to the individual that is talking about it. What is weird is when you get a ton of people parroting the exact same thing down the line. But anyway, so you get this group of people saying how great something is, and then you go look at the reality of whatever the thing is, meaning for a movie, for example, you go look at the box office, and it was not that great to the majority of the population. It was great to those individuals, but the population overall said, nah, and they just skip it. And then you see these people, you know, like go to death for 
this thing and they will argue the crud out of it uh, as if their life depends on it. Probably my favorite people to engage with because you can easily set them off. And I will, I've said it before and I'll say it again. There is some part of me that enjoys being a troll. So I don't mind trolling. And, and, and it's easy for me to justify my position because I'm like, well, I'm not like a, like a evil doxing troll, but really I shouldn't do it. Look, I'm being, uh, I'm confessing to you right now. I shouldn't be trolling people. It's not the right thing to do. It's not the best thing to do. It's fun. And that's a problem is you can start getting a rise out of people. Uh, and you probably most likely don't even hold the position, you know, that you're, that you're engaging in. Now with me, my, my particular kind of trollness is I, I do kind of hold that position, whatever it is. So if I'm talking about agents of shield and I'm saying that it is canon 100% and that the MCU would collapse without agents of shield being canon, obviously that's not true. <laughs> obviously I'm trolling somewhat, but at the same time, I love agents of shield. So, you know, I, <laughs> I somewhat go to the mat for it. Um, but just in a plain, you know, in a, in a, a, uh, playful way, I, I'm not really looking to end anybody's day just because I have an opinion about, you know, agents of shield, but that that's an example right there. That's like my level of trolling is, is I just defend it. Uh, same thing with like She-Hulk or, you know, the Marvel, the upcoming up Marvels. Like I will, I will go to the mat and say how terrible those are. And, and in that, you know, part, partly a troll, partly just the way that I feel like nobody's going to change my mind about those things because I, I have a arbitrary in this, in this sense, there's a part of it that is arbitrary for me that I have an arbitrary, uh, level of value and, and, um, and quality that I adhere to of how I find things, you know, uh, quality in those things. And it's arbitrary because it's based on my taste. Subjectively, I might be able to go, uh, you know, step outside of how I feel and take a look at the overall, whatever it is, and give you breakdowns as to why the thing is not working. Probably story, probably character development, probably, uh, you know, something popped up and then it was, you never, you like, uh, a situation popped up that needs to be resolved, and then the story writers did not come back to that and close that loop. So th those are objective metrics that you can apply to whether something is good or not. It's the same thing with art. It's the same thing with music. And you know, there's there's two things that are happening with those. There's pieces of them that are subjective, and there's pieces of them that are objective, where uh, it is outside of whatever your personal taste. And I, I say this all the time, uh, when people come and visit me and, and we talk about art and, you know, they'll say things like, um, oh, you know, I could never do what you do, or I don't have talent like that, or I can't draw a circle. Or I can't draw a stick figure. I, I'm always very honest with those people because I don't think it benefits society and I don't think it benefits those people to not give them an honest object, objective take on something like art art maybe right off the bat there are individuals that are able to connect and and 
get the formula of art, you know, much quicker than other people. They, they're people, you know, walking around that, that are able to adapt to whatever, whatever that system is, or not whatever the system is, but rather uh, the method of art faster than another person. But the fact of the matter is everybody can learn to draw. Everybody. Doesn't matter who you are. Because there is a formula for that. And the formula can be taught to anybody. After you teach people the formula, from that point, it's up to the individual on how they're going to move forward with their abilities and their skills and and their vision as to what it is that they're trying to create. I tell people all the time, everybody can learn how to play guitar. Everybody. It doesn't matter who you are. If you as long as you have hands and you've got, you know, two two arms, hands, or maybe in some cases some people learn how to play with their feet. But as long as you you have the mental capacity for it, you can learn how to play the guitar. And you can learn how to play the guitar so proficiently that you can join a band or you can join an orchestra or you can join whatever. What I don't understand is how somebody becomes Eric Clapton or Jimi Hendrix or, you know, Slash from Guns N' Roses. That one is, that's the mystery to me. I, you know, there, there's improvisation and there's some passion there that you can't teach to another person. Um, and it's the same thing with art. Like everybody can get proficient at drawing. I don't know how you become an Adam Hughes, a Jim Lee, a uh, you know any of Walt's nine old men. You know a Milt Call or a um, you know any of those guys. Like I just uh, I I don't know oh, Mark Davis. I don't I don't know how you uh, your brain switches over to that. And it's that creativity portion that is a mystery. And so it's the same thing with, you know, media that gets put out there. There's a three-story structure for, uh, you know, for when you're writing a story, when you're writing a screenplay, when you're whatever, you, you've got, uh, there's there's a method that can be taught, which is why we're able to have schools and colleges, because we understand all those things can be broken down into its simplest forms. That information can be relayed to an individual, and then it's up to the individual on you know their creativity and and their internal spark to make something out of it that is different and somewhat unique, um, you know, to another person. And I say somewhat unique because I completely believe with the biblical uh, view of solomon you know that there is nothing new under the sun so every everything that you're watching all you know ideas and stories and everything that you see in the world is a derivative of something else it's a it's a it's a particular person's spin on another person's creation that have come before them and it's actually the way that we're able to build societies is we're able to play off of one another's uh previous creations and that's a good thing and that's how you you know you get the better better and better variations i i will say that we i think we're in a very uh we're in a period of time of like dark ages 
when it comes to storytelling in our media. Uh, you know, we've had, uh, I would say for the most part, uh, conservatively speaking, six, seven years of mostly drought when it comes to storytelling. And if it wasn't like that, I don't think that the things that I was talking about at the beginning of uh, people getting on teams and getting into these death matches where they defend their love of, you know, and again, love very, very loosely, but their appreciation of these things, whatever they might be, um, it, it's a huge contrast. You know, when you compare it to things that came out, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And that's not just this period of time. Uh, you, you know, the individual going, well, things were better back then. Uh, it, it is provable. I believe, I believe there's an objective way to measure that we go through cycles as a, as a society. We have these little mini golden ages of creativity and, uh, you know, just societal change. And, and you, you can feel the electricity in the air for things. And it's, it's happened in every single decade. Every single decade has this period of a lull and then things start to ramp back up again. And then people are living, living really good. I think we're heading further into a, a period of a lull right now where things are going to be not, you know, not great. The economy is not going to be great. Our government is not great. The, the, our media is not great. And I think they all reflect each other. Now that doesn't mean that you don't have little nuggets of greatness coming out or even little nuggets of, of things that you particularly appreciate that are meaningful to you. Um, and in fact, I think what ends up happening is those things become even more meaningful when you look at the landscape and you go, well, none of this is for me. Like all this stuff is, you know, not something that I'm interested in or it's poorly written or it's poorly, whatever, uh, it, you know, I dislike all this. Uh, then, then the little things that are pretty great, you know, become extra great and you apply this extra appreciation to those things. So. Yeah, I, I find it funny uh, that we are in this period of time where a lot of people feel this need to to defend things to the death rather than just collectively going, well, you know, we're in a period of suck. Like this is, uh, it's not great. Uh, we We will hopefully come out of this with another mini golden age where we've got, you know, we get 10 years of great music, 10 years of great movies, 10 years of great books, and um, and things that eventually, out of that, we get things that become classics, and then you're able to revisit them again, which I think has been one of the saving graces of all of this, is because we've had many golden ages throughout the decades, we're able to go back to things that were, we, we understand as quality, and we're able to live in those things collectively and just kind of wait. We, we get in a, in a holding pattern. So yeah, Indiana Jones, the fifth one was terrible. Indiana Jones, the fourth one was terrible. But then you go back and you go, well, I've still got Indiana Jones one through three. 
you know, and so you live there. I've got the Harry Potter series. You live there. I've got the original Lord of the Rings trilogy with uh, Peter Jackson. So you live there. So, you, you know, Batman 66, you know, you get whatever, whatever your time period is that was, you know, quality, uh, depending on your age, then you go back and you get to live there for a while while you're waiting for society to reset itself and to, you know, catch up again. I will say as not a fan of uh, the period of Obama being in office, while I didn't vote for the guy and I didn't, I especially don't agree with the guy afterwards with all the things that came out later about how he handles his administration and some of the things that we did overseas, you know, is horrendous. It's not unique to him. It's not like we've ever had a president where we went, oh, like that president is is completely flawless and has no blood on, on his hands and, you know, is the best example of whatever. <clears throat> anyway, what I'm getting at is during Obama's period of time, things were, we were in like a, a golden age in, in a lot of ways in society. And so, you know, it, it, it's pretty fascinating. You never, you never have a perfect golden age that doesn't exist, but you do get enough of, of momentum that is happening in society as a whole. And people, you know, especially during his first term, people were feeling pretty hopeful in general. And, you know, not the people that obviously that were like stuck politically and, you know, that consumed their entire persona. No, I'm talking about like your general average person. They were like, okay, this is where we're at right now. And you know what? Everything's humming along pretty good. I can buy a house. Things are fairly cheap. You know, media is great. Like, okay, this is good. Um, I, I think, you know, you, the general population is is not on social media and the general population will let you know when we're in a golden age and when we're in a uh, downturn when things are not as great as they they could be and again I'll, I'll say we're in a period right now of that especially great examples when you look at disney and you look at what's going on with their numbers across the board with everything you can see it like people are just in a holding pattern and eventually the the uh, uh, the leadership will change. You will get new hungry board members. You will get a new hungry CEO. You will get you know people that whether they're sincere or not understand the what they should be catering to, what uh, group of people they should be catering to, which is families in this case, and they'll get they'll go back to that. And you'll see it across the board. As things change, you'll also, part of change is seeing exciting new things pop up. So when old technology leaves, some kind of new technology that is arguably, objectively better than the old technology pops up. It's not 100% in every situation, but for the most part, percentage-wise, mostly that ends up being the case that you get end up getting better technology and better uh, outcomes from you know older technology being uh, what's the word uh, retired, for example.
And I think you'll see the same thing with governments. You'll see that, you know, you see the same thing with like uh, uh, social thinking. My son came down this weekend uh, for a birthday party for one of his cousins. And him and I, we were chatting about all the things that are going on with, you know, society and with schools. And if you've not seen it, you know, you can go online and you can see all the various schools that have just kind of insane uh, things happening, protests and people coming out for uh, Palestine and Israel and, you know, wherever you land, as far as those things go, uh, standing back and objectively looking at it, it's, it's pretty insane. It's insane that you have uh, these kids that are doing, you know, making uh, rallies at these schools and, and landing on any, any one side. And if you're from those lands, that completely makes sense. But if you're an American born American bred kid that has never understood or known those conflicts and you're coming out on, you know, on whatever side, like, uh, you're going to have to, I, I think you would be hard pressed to prove that you know enough of what the situation is to have an informed opinion, to be able to come out, you know, and have a position on it. Like it, it's wild. I've been following it about as close as I possibly can. And I'm, I don't have an informed solid opinion on that. There is still so many things that are head scratching and, weird and uncomfortable and so you know anyway uh i was talking to my son about it i'm like hey man uh, is anything like this happening over in your spot do you have like rallies and all? and he's like no no way like we have there's definitely been you know a couple of vocal people here and there but what you're seeing on the news or what you're seeing in uh, social media that is not not even close to taking place, you know, at, at my school. And this school is a pretty big school. It, it's uh, not only is it big, it, it it caters to technology and and uh, uh, engineering, and you know, it's it's a uh, like a I don't know what you, what's the word like an like a it's not a junior college, and you know, it's 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 a well known you know school that that you would expect oh where a lot of the student body comes from uh the bay area for example so you would kind of expect activism and complete lack of activism complete lack of you know and it's so it's fascinating so i for all the schools that you see pop up or all the things that you see pop up in media that are pushing the narrative in one direction that's where i would advise take a step back really look at the situation at the situation and really think am i really seeing what i think that i'm seeing is like is this a a 0.000001% representation of the population or is this just rampant everywhere in fact it's really made me rethink my thoughts on everything that we uh that was pushed out into the media uh particularly during covid and during you know the summer and riots like there was definitely an intent to 
to push a narrative in one direction. And I think, you know, that's what's become fascinating to me because it's what you see in um, social media when it comes to the things that, that I talk about and the things that I love, which is, you know, geek stuff. Uh, you see these narratives about this is going to make X amount of money. This is going to be great. This is going to be, you know, the, you have to see this. This is the next chapter and da 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 da. And it turns out most of the time not to be true. It turns out that people are looking for quality and not just, uh, you know, follow along because you've already followed this long. So you just got to keep going, stick with this. You can't sustain a business out of that. You need to continually provide the goods for people. And when you take away quality, when you take away what brought you to the dance, then people will punish you for it. People are ready and willing to reward you for, you know, uh, a, an excellent family uh, movie or excellent science fiction or, you know, whatever it might be. If it's quality, people are willing to, to come out and uh, support you and be on your quote unquote team. But when you stop providing the goods, uh, you know, people quietly walk away. People sometimes loudly walk away. You know, it depends on who it is that you're talking about. But the point is people walk away and, um, and then you get this downturn and you, you're not in your golden age anymore. So yeah, I think, I think that's where we're at. I think we're in a, a lack of a golden age, but I think we will head back that way again because everything is cyclical and, you know, we, we self-correct as individuals and as a society. That's, that's my personal opinion on that. Well, everybody, we have some breaking news. This comes out of variety, pivoting a little bit here, heading back over to Marvel. Let me see here. This was uh, by Tatiana Siegel. It's written by Tatiana Siegel from Variety. Crisis at Marvel. Jonathan Major's backup plans, The Marvels, reshoots, reviving the original Avengers, and more issues revealed. Let's get into it. I'm going to read this word for word. The past September, a group of Marvel creatives, including Steve, <coughs> including studio chief Kevin Feige, assembled in Palm Springs for the studio's annual retreat. Most years, the vibe would have been confident, even cocky, given how the premier superhero brand owned by Disney since 2009 has remade the entertainment business in its image. But this occasion was angst-ridden. Everyone at Marvel was reeling from a series of disappointments on screen, a legal scandal involving one of its biggest stars, and questions about the viability of the studio's ambitious strategy to extend the brand beyond movies and streaming. The most pressing issue to be discussed at the retreat was what to do about Jonathan Majors, the actor who had been poised to carry the next phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but instead is headed to a high-profile trial in New York later this month on domestic violence charges. The actor insists he is the victim, but the damage to his reputation and the chances he could lose the case has forced Marvel to reconsider its plans to center the next phase of its interlocking slate of sequels, spin-offs, and series around Major's villainous character, King the Conqueror. On top of that, add to the fact that Loki Season 2 is being watched by virtually no one, and probably a lot of that has to do with uh, Kang himself. If you think about the demographic that Marvel started going after 
after Avengers Endgame, they began to go hard after the female um, fan base. So to to attempt to cater to them for all this period of time, and then to have something like this happen with Jonathan Majors, who, depending on the crime, you know, they might still have been able to get away with it, but this is domestic abuse. Yeah, nobody is going to to see this guy on screen, including myself. I've not watched a single episode of Loki. At the gathering in Palm Springs, executives discussed backup plans, including pivoting to another comic book adversary like Dr. Doom, but making any shift would carry its own headaches. Majors was already a big presence in the MCU, including as a scene-stealing antagonist in February's Ant-Man and the Wasp of Quantumania, which... By the way, that movie bombed hard in the theaters. Don't let anybody tell you any different. And he has been positioned as the franchise's next big thing in this season of Loki, particularly in the final, which airs on November 9th and sets up Kang as a tutelar star of a fourth Avengers film in 2026. Marvel is truly effed with the whole Kang angle, says one top dealmaker who has seen the final Loki episode, and they haven't had an opportunity to rewrite until very recently because of the WGA strikes. But I don't see a path to how they move forward with him. Beyond the bad press for majors, the brain trust at Marvel is also grappling with the November release of the Marvels, a sequel to 2019's blockbuster Captain Marvel that has been plagued with lengthy reshoots and now appears likely to underwhelm at the box office. Folks, this is me speaking, not this article. Believe that. Whatever changes they might have made are not going to save this movie. It is not good. And worst than anything is that this movie doesn't actually tie to anything. There might be one or two tags at the end of the movie, the classic Marvel tags that I talked about last week. Uh, those might be the only things that actually tie into the bigger plan, but this movie itself ties into nothing. It is a self-contained story that goes nowhere. This is all an unprecedented turn of fortune for a company that has enjoyed a nearly uninterrupted string of hits ever since it started independently producing these movies with 2008's Iron Man. That wildly profitable run culminated... In the 2.8 billion success of 2019 Avengers Endgame, a high watermark for the studio that has earned nearly 30 billion over 32 films. Replicating that kind of phenomenon is never easy. However, the source of Marvel's current troubles can be traced back to 2020. That's when the COVID pandemic ushered in a mandate to help boost Disney stock price. Okay, folks, now this is probably where m- me and the writer uh, diverge as far as what the problem was. Let's see where these people go, and then I'll give you my perspective at the end. With an endless torrent of interconnected Marvel content for the studio's fledgling streaming platform, Disney+, Plus, according to the plan, there would never be a lapse at superhero fare, with either a film in theaters or a new television series streaming at any given moment. Okay, I do agree with that. That is true that uh, they decided to basically have you on a on a 24-hour drip of superheroes. But the ensuing tsunami of spandex proved to be too much of a good thing, and the demands of churning out so much programming taxed the Marvel apparatus. Moreover, the need to tease out an interwoven storyline over so many uh, 
disparate shows, movies, and platforms created a muddled narrative that baffled the viewers. Okay, <clears throat> I got to stop right here. Look, it wasn't that Marvel got overtaxed. It's that Disney got cheap. And they got cheap in a very weird way. They upped the money on production, but they actually went cheap on the writing, the directing. It, you know, they uh, they used to have a Marvel story group that oversaw how all these things were plotted out and outline, outlined. And they definitely uh, would pivot depending on what the situation needed. I mean, for goodness sakes, they would have directors that were all working in Atlanta at the same time at their big studio over there, and they would all check in on one another. They would. They, there's famous stories of of uh, different directors dropping in on other directors to see what they're doing, get some inspiration ideas from that, and then pivot and bring something new to their story, and then move forward. And it was all interconnected. I mean, there. I think it's on Disney Plus that there's a a pretty well-known now roundtable of all the directors at the time. You've got the Russo brothers. You have um, James Gunn. You've got uh, 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 John Favreau. You've got, um, uh, man, uh, just a bunch of different directors that are all together that are talking about, you know, putting putting this universe together and making sure that it stays intact. So it wasn't that all of a sudden Marvel got overwhelmed. It's that they did not use their tried and true method and instead they sought after new cheaper writers that didn't have the experience they went after directors that you know were not in love with this stuff you can find several articles about the people that were show running the the tv shows and how they were either told explicitly not to look at the comic books or they chose people that were not that did not have a comic book love background. And on top of that, Marvel decided for their whatever stupid reason to drop the foundation of the whole thing and they stopped adapting comic book stories. I mean, come on. The Marvel machine was pumping out a lot of content. Did it get to the point where there was too much? And they were burning people out on superheroes? It's possible says Wall Street analyst Eric Handler, who covers Disney. The more you do, the tougher it is to maintain quality. They tried experimenting with breaking in some new characters like Shang-Chi and Eternals with mixed results. Yeah, both of those terrible stories. With budgets as big as these, you need home runs. That was another problem. <clears throat> the budgets. The Marvels, which opens in theaters November 10th, will struggle to get the ball past the infield, at least by Marvel's outside standards. The movie, which cost $250 million, and actually, folks, don't believe that. It's probably closer to $300 million after all the reshoots and everything else, and that does not include marketing, which is another $100 million on top of that. So you're looking at a $350 million movie before it even goes out the gate. Sees Brie Larson reprising her role as Captain Marvel is tracking to open at to uh, to seventy five to eighty million, far below the hundred eighty five million Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It took in domestically in its debut weekend last year. Directed by Nia DaCosta, who's come out by the way and has had some choice words about Marvel, basically putting out there: Did I even direct a movie? I mean, it. What was I here for? It were her words, which is. Ouch. 
the Marvels unites Larson's heroine with two superpowered allies, uh, Tiona Paris, Monica Rambeau, introduced in 2021 Disney Plus series WandaVision, and Iman Velani's Kamala Khan, first seen in 2022 series Miss Marvel. But instead of seam- seamlessly building on the success of Captain Marvel, this movie resulted in four weeks of reshoots to bring coherence to a tangled storyline. Then, eyebrows were raised again when DaCosta began working on another film while the Marvels was still in post-production. The filmmaker moved to London earlier this year to begin prepping for her Tessa Thompson drama, Hedda. A representative for DaCosta declined to comment. If you're directing a $250 million movie, it's kind of weird for the director to leave with a few months ago, says a source familiar with the production. Yeah, not weird when you actually didn't direct the movie, when the direction is being done by you know, the special effects team, then it's not weird at all. The Marvels has seen its release date move back twice. Two, once to swap places with Quantumania, which was deemed further along, and again when its debut shifted from July to November, to give the filmmakers more time to tinker. But that extra time didn't necessarily help. In June, Marvel which traditionally only solicits feedback from Disney employees and their friends and families, took the uncharacteristic step of holding a public test screening in Texas. The audience gave the film middling reviews. Yeah, you could say that. But Marvel has never been in the business of being average. Kevin's real superpower, his genius, has always been in post-production and getting his hands on movies and making sure they finished. They are finished strongly, the source adds. These days, he's spread thin. Feige declined to comment for the story. Feige isn't the only person showing signs of strain. Marvel's entire VFX battalion, including staffers and vendors, is struggling to keep pace with a never-ending stream of productions. This past February, when the credits rolled at the world premiere of Quantumania, shock rippled through the Regency Village Theater in Westwood over some shoddy CGI. There were at least 10 scenes where the visual effects had been added at the last minute and were out of focus, says one veteran power broker who was there. It was insane. I've never seen something like that in my entire career. Everyone was talking about it. Even the kids of the executives were talking about it. The schedule swap with the Marvels had left Ant-Man and the the Ant-Man sequel in a squeeze, pushing up its post-production schedule by four and a half months. Marvel films are known for coming down to the wire uh, given Feige's ability to foam the runway and land a plane that way, says one executive familiar with how m- the company re- operates. But this level unfinished was unprecedented and would be noted in scathing reviews when the temple with with when the temple with 200 million budget over 11 days after the premiere, critics weren't the only ones dismayed. Fed up with 14-hour days and overtime, Marvel's VFX workers voted unanimously to unionize in September, sparking an industry-wide trend. The year 2023 was the straw that broke the camel's back, says former Marvel Studios VFX assistant coordinator Anna George, who appeared before the Congressional Labor Caucus on November 19th to testify about the studio's untenable deadlines and working conditions. The pay and long hours at Marvel were the reason we had to start our unionization process there. The conditions were completely unsustainable. Disney's top brass, including newly returned CEO Bob Iger, who um, was said to be apologetic about Marvel's VFX troubles one month after the Quantumania premiere debacle. The guillotine fell on Victoria Alonso, who oversaw the studio's physical production and post-production VFX animation. While the reason cited for her rub firing was her unauthorized role as an executive producer on the Oscar-nominated film Argentina, 1985. 
Insiders say Disney was incensed that quality control at its Marvel productions was plummeting, particularly on the ever-expanding TV front. The VFX logjam had been evident for some time, with some final effects for such Disney series as WandaVision, She-Hulk, inserted after their streaming debuts. That Alonzo was busy promoting her art house project while Rome Byrne certainly didn't sit well with Disney's leadership. Alonzo's attorney says her client is unable to comment. But some internal sources suggest Alonzo was the scapegoat and and point to the She-Hulk VFX issues as a symptom of a deeper rot, namely a lack of oversight on the script deployment. In the original arc of She-Hulk, a flashback of star Tatiana Maslany's transformation into her Hulk character didn't play didn't take place until episode eight, the Penentulum episode. Penentulum, penen, uh, penultimate, penultimate episode. But after Marvel's Brain Trust watched footage, it realized the scene needed to happen in the pilot episode so that audience could see more of the character's backstory early. That meant that the VFX team was tasked with fixing the mess in post-production. The so-called bad VFX we see was because of half-baked scripts, says one person involved with She-Hulk. It's not Victoria. That is Kevin. And even Kevin, and and even above Kevin, those issues should be addressed in pre-production. The timeline is not allowing the Marvel executives to sit with the material. All the while, which is something I've been saying for a while now, all the while Marvel was bleeding money with a single episode of She-Hulk, costing some $25 million, dwarfing the budget of a final season episode of HBO's Game of Thrones, but, uh, but without a similar zeitgeist bang. The August 2022 series premiere at El Capitan Theater foreshadowed what was to come six months later at the Quantumania bow. The She-Hulk special effects were out of focus in multiple scenes. There are signs that the flood of product of of the product is leading people to tune out. I'm not prepared to call it pre, uh, a preeminent fall, but based on the numbers that go with Marvel podcasts, Marvel-based articles, friends who do Marvel-based video coverage, all of these numbers are significantly down, says Joanna Robinson, co-author of the New York Times bestseller MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, who is a writer and podcaster at The Ringer. The quality is suffering. In 2019, at the peak, if you put Marvel Studios in front of something People were like, ooh, that brand means quality. That association is no longer the case because there have been so many projects that felt half-baked and undercooked. As the public criticism mounts, Feige is pulling the plug on scripts and projects that aren't working. Case in point, the Blade reboot with Marshala Ali signed on for uh, for the role of a vampire, uh, of the vampire, of Blade. Things look promising for a 2023 release date, but the project has gone through at least five writers, two directors, one shut down six weeks before production. One person familiar with the script uh, permeation says the story at one point morphed into a narrative led by a woman and filled with life lessons. Blade was relegated to the fourth lead. A bizarre idea, considering that the studio had two-time Oscar winner Ali on board. Which... This is uh, that was a perfect encapsulation encapsulation of actually what's been happening with Marvel. Uh, let me read that again. At one point, it morphed into a narrative led by a woman and filled with life lessons. That's pretty much been what we've been getting. Um, you know, all of the main characters keep getting regulated into the back seat, while some you know stronger female version of them shows up and tells everybody what's up. 
Amid reports that Ali has Ali was ready to exit over script issues, Feige went back to the drawing board and hired Michael Green, the Oscar-nominated writer of Logan, to start anew. Speculation around town is that the studio is looking to make the film, now slated for two twenty-five on a budget of less than $100 million, a deviation from Marvel's big spending strategy. Which, gotta be honest with you, you don't need a lot of money to make, Mar- uh, to make Blade. That's, that's a fact. With Iger publicly acknowledging the downside of Marvel TV glut that diluted focus and attention, the keepers of the comic book empire are, are considering some dramatic moves. Sources say there have been talks to bring back the original gang for an Avengers movie. This would include reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man, Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow, which you don't need to revive them. You just need to pull them out of different timelines and you're all set. Both of them who were killed off in Endgame. That shouldn't be a stumbling block in comic books. Beloved characters often killed off only to be resurrected thanks to the power of things like the multiverse. Exactly. But the studio hasn't yet committed to the idea. And by the way, personally speaking, I would be super shocked if Scarlett Johansson came back. I'm not sure that they could back up enough money to bring her back based on how she was treated by Disney and Marvel Studios. If they were able to bring back these, uh, bring those actors back, it wouldn't come cheap. Sources say Downey Jr.'s upfront salary for Iron Man 3 was around $25 million. Will that solve Marvel's, ma- Marvel's majors problem? When the Quantumania actor was arrested in March, Disney executives insisted that they could afford to play a wait-and-see game given the Avengers, the Kang Dynasty, wasn't expected to begin shooting until early 2024. But then Majors was dropped in quick succession by his publicists and managers. He remains a client of VME, the agency where he landed after CAA parted ways with him. Pre-arrest for his brutal conduct towards staff, says one source, CAA declined to comment. In April, other alleged domestic violence victims of majors began cooperating with the Manhattan District's attorney office. Then, ahead of a key hearing in October, media outlets, including Variety, obtained a court filing that that referenced a police incident in London involving majors that led his ex-girlfriend to seek medical attention. Making matters even stricter, the ex-girlfriend also worked on Quantumania as a movement coach, and... The London incident took place while Majors was shooting season two of Loki on October 25th. A New York judge denied Majors' motion to dismiss the case, which ensures that the actor will stand trial in late November. His legal team is attempting to keep some material in the case sealed. A studio source notes that regardless of the actor's legal issues, Marvel already had considered moving away from Majors' lead phase because of the box office performance of Quantumania, which will struggle to make a profit. It gave people pause, given the quantum media didn't exactly land, this land, the sources say. On October 27, Disney removed another major film, Searchlight's Magazine Dreams, from the release calendar. Recasting majors is also an option, as Feige did when he replaced Terrence Howard in Iron Man 2 with Don Cheadle. In fact, Marvel isn't afraid to change direction, even after making splashy announcements. Armor Wars was first unveiled as a series and is now being developed as a feature uh, film, while the studio pushes to adapt the comic book and humans into a feature film generated headlines but is now dormant. The now defunct Marvel Television mounted um, an inhuman TV series in 2017 that ran for one season on ABC. <clears throat> Still, there was one bright spot in 2023 Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which became Marvel's biggest draw of the year with $845 million worldwide. The fact that it was directed by James Gunn, the guy now running rival DC Studios was lost on no one. With Marvel, it used to be as close to a guarantee as you could get, says Paul 
I can't even say that dude's last name. A box office analyst at Com... Sorry, man. Sorry, Paul. At Comscore. So going all in on the budgets made sense. Guardians 3 was a bit overlooked in how successful it was, but that had had James Gunn and Chris Pratt, and I think star power is becoming more important. Then there was Quantumania with $476 million. Anything under half a billion dollars is viewed as a disappointment, and these overreaching expectations are a result of so much success over the years. The key to reinvigorating Marvel may lie with the superhero arsenal that Disney acquired during 2019's purchase of 21st Century's Fox. That deal brought several blue-chip heroes, such as the X-Men Fantastic Four, back into the studio's control. Already, fans are geeking out <coughs> about next year's Deadpool 3, which unites Ryan Reynolds' Merc with a Mouth with Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and a reboot of Fantastic Four slated for 2025. As a bonus, the Fox editions give Feige an opportunity to reimagine the X-Men franchise, the very property he cut his teeth on as a young executive at Lauren Schuler Donner's production company. Now that the WGA strike is in the rearview mirror, Marvel has started talking to writers about bringing the X-Men into the MCU fold. While Feige recalibrates, the rest of the industry is anxiously hoping that Marvel's best days are not behind it. Writing the Marvel obituary would be ill-advised, says Jason Squire, professor at emeritus at USC School of Cinematic Arts, and the host of the Movie Business Podcast. Kevin Feige is the Babe Ruth of movie executives, and Marvel has the most profitable track record in movie history. No question. All right. That was a long article. Thanks for sticking with me through that. Now, let me... uh, I want to give you some of my thoughts on that, because I think one of the things that that article does is it is very, very, very careful. Let me repeat, very, very careful not to over um, criticize what's happening over at Marvel slash Disney. And there's a lot of good reasons that you could see it in the article. They reach out for people to comment and then those people decline and you don't want to get frozen out. If you're a, if you're any kind of outlet, whether you're news, entertainment, whatever it is, you don't want to get frozen out. You, in fact, there's a, a pretty sick thing that has happened where uh, reviewers get invited to go see early screenings of things so that they come they come out of it, you know, gushing about how good the movie is, and that maybe they'll move the needle in society and get more people to go out to see whatever that thing is. Um, The minute you start being honest and real about whatever it is that you saw uh, is pretty much the minute that that golden ticket is pulled back away from you. So you could see it in, uh, in, you know, in various ways and it happens. Same thing with the government uh, and various news outlets. You know, if you criticize too hard or you're too honest, all of a sudden, you're not getting invited to the uh, to the press junkets, and uh, I've heard that it is quite addictive to be within those circles, and it makes sense. It's like Icarus going up to the sun, you know. Except that all these people end up getting too close, and they melt their integrity, and they can never get it back. It's actually, as I've as I've noticed over the years, it's way better to cultivate an audience uh you know like the like the youtubers who comment or people that 
that write blogs or, you know, whatever, make podcasts, for example, uh, who are not invited to these things, it's better because you can give a more honest take. And, you know, it gets slanted the other way for sure. Uh, you can sometimes devolve into just hating something because it doesn't fit the narrative of what you want things to be or how you think things should be. That for sure happens. I think, you know, the best people to write and talk about these kind of things are the people that are looking at the material itself and not, um, and the quality of the material and not the social things that are happening necessarily within the material. I'm going to give you a really good example. I've talked about this before. I'll talk about it again. I, it, I feel, uh, I feel complete liberty in this, no shame in this. Uh, I'm Christian and I watch a variety of things that are not considered Christian or wouldn't be considered Christian. Point in fact, one of my favorite shows right now is Murders in the Building. Murders in the Building has everything. I mean, literally every kind of slice of life that you can think of, including alternative lifestyles, everything. Here's the thing. The show is super well-written. It's 30 minutes long, very taut, very tight plot points. Uh, they always, always circle back to a story point that, that they open up and they close out all their loops and everything makes sense. It is a very well-written, very well-acted, very well-told story. I don't care what you are and what, what faith you believe in, what, what your point of view is. If you cannot be objective and look at something and see the quality of what it is, uh, then, then yeah, you, you're just, you're falling into an echo chamber. Look, there, there's so many things that are not for me that other people, uh, you know, totally find engrossing and love. Here's another example. I have no interest in seeing the passion of the Christ with Henry, uh, Henry Caviezel. I believe that that's his name. Yeah. I, I have no desire to see that because I don't need to see the brutality of how Jesus was treated on the screen because even that is not a real representation of the actual agony that Christ went through on the cross. So I don't need to see a, a mock up of that. And, and, and I don't need to be emotionally manipulated into feeling, uh, you know, this intense, uh, regret and pain and weight of, of that sacrifice uh, uh, being mirrored on screen. It's not for me. No, thanks. I don't like to be sad. I don't, I don't need to see it. Now, does that mean that that's not for somebody else out there? Of course not. I mean, number one, I've heard the movie is incredibly well acted and well written and it gets, it, it gets exactly the, the point that it's trying to get across. It gets that across. So that movie is for hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people out there. It's just not for me in the same way. Uh, uh, murders in the building, no matter how good of a quality it is, it might not be for you because it, it hits on certain sensitivities of yours or certain convictions of yours. I totally get that. You know, that's great. I think we have personal freedom and you can personally choose where you're going to spend your time and how you're going to spend your time. I chose not to spend it on Game of Thrones, for example, but I knew a lot of Christians that loved and watched Game of Thrones it just wasn't my thing. Read the books, I'm good. Um, you know, still haven't read the last one because poor George R. R. Martin uh, has not 
finished it yet. Hopefully he does complete it before he dies. I don't know that I want to go through the entire series again just to get caught up. <laughs> Might read the cliff notes. Anyway, my point is, going back to Marvel, this is how I rant, by the way, but <clears throat> going back to Marvel and the troubles that are happening over there. Look, Marvel pivoted. I've said this before. I will you know, continue to ring this bell. Marvel pivoted from its original core foundational values of how it constructed things and brought things to the table. If you're to believe one side, Marvel was all dudes, you know, it was all banana hammocks all the time. There was no, uh, you know, entry point for the ladies, uh, you know, and, and so now we need to pivot away from that. We need to bring more strong, you know, independent superhero females into the mix. Well, yeah, then we were watching different, uh, uh, a different universe because littered throughout the entire storytelling process was uh, heroes and heroines all throughout it. Powerful. I mean, one of the most powerful people in the MCU is a woman. It's Wanda. And we see that when she goes toe to toe with Thanos and nearly kills the guy with her mind powers. She shook me with, <laughs> shook me with mind powers. But, uh, so, you know, that none of those arguments have ever flown for me in order to unfold a story and to, um, you know, to, to get you to where it needs to go. For example, Iron Man was always going to be the star, the star of the star, the star of Iron Man. Why? Because the movie's called Iron Man. So it would have been weird if in the middle of, Iron Man, the movie would have been handed off to Black Widow, and now it was Black Widow's story, but you release the movie as Iron Man, and everybody starts to go, hey, well, where's Iron Man? Shouldn't we get more Iron Man? This is like way less Iron Man. What's happening here? You get my point? Like, that's what Marvel pivoted over to and started doing, and they suffered for it. They suffered big time because people decided to punish them by no longer consuming their content. So this article, the way that it talks about all the different possibilities of what could have been the VFX, the money, the, uh, you know, COVID uh, strikes, but no, man, none of that. It was none of that. It was the simple fact that they decided to move away from the foundation of what made them marvel. And that includes Kevin Feige, Bob Iger, uh, uh, Bob Chapek, like all those guys. If you got to blame, if you got to place blame at people's feet, you got to place it at the top. That's where it all begins. This is, <clears throat> this is Kevin Feige. This is Bob Iger. This is the board. This is everybody there who decided to you know, to, to pivot to a lesser form of storytelling with, uh, untested tools. And, and on top of that, I will agree. I want, I, I kind of pull back on this and say, yeah, I do agree that there was a massive saturation, not oversaturation, but a massive saturation of, uh, Marvel productions and they didn't prepare themselves to put these things out, I, you know, is the way that it reads 
the way that it comes across is these things are not connected to one another. They don't flow from one thing into the next, and they don't, uh, you know, they're, they're not able to get the job accomplished of what they're trying to do. So now to go ahead and look for a new super bad guy to replace the super bad guy that you placed all your hopes and dreams on. Uh, I, I don't know how you get it done. I don't know how you get it done without literally doing what uh, DC and James Gunn, you know, D the DCU and James Gunn is planning on doing, which is you put out your final crapper, you know, in this case, it'll be Aquaman two. You put out your final thing and then you, collapse that entire universe and then you start from scratch at this point i think that's where marvel's at and i don't think marvel disney any none of the fans none of us ever saw that coming that they you would get to a point where you have to collapse everything and start anew i would uh man after this new the marvel's movie which is going to tank after that, the only other thing that I would allow to to make its way out into TV or movies would be Deadpool 3. I would finish that up as quickly as possible. I would rewrite some of the parts. I would collapse the entire universe, blame it all on Deadpool, literally make him the ultimate bad guy, accidentally collapses all the multiverses somehow by a stupid mistake that he does, have his, have his uh, floating body pop out into the space of nothing right before, you know, all of creation begins again. And then, you know, he's like the narrator that's, that, that begins a whole new Marvel universe with some maturity and age already involved in it. Meaning, you know, it's a brand new day. Nobody knows about who, superheroes. It's the 1950s or 1960s, somewhere, sometime around there. You've got four young good-looking hopefuls in the in the form of uh uh the fantastic four they had head out into space bam you got superpowers that doesn't exclude uh captain america that doesn't exclude you know any superhero that is older than that but you begin with the fantastic four and then you slowly start to ro uh, roll out everybody else and then you 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 begin the process again but you begin it much slower you put out two uh two tv shows a year and you put out two movies a year and you do it in in a way where you put out a movie in in the winter time uh when everybody's on break and then in around march you you put out your tv show and then in the summer you put out your movie to coincide with all the comic book conventions that are happening but definitely to connect it to San Diego uh, Comic Con, and then again in around fall, yeah, uh, around the end of September, beginning of October, you you throw out your next TV show, and then you just continue to do that. If you're Marvel, you put out four things a year that are all interconnected with each other, that all have long form storytelling, that actually make it possible for people to catch a breath and and keep up with all this stuff and actually enjoy it you you scale down your production so you're not spending as much money you know you're you go back to the classic kevin feige move of putting two producers on every single um uh project that 
those producers live with that project all the way into the very end. And you invite veteran writers to come back, veteran writers who love this stuff. You invite them to come back and write this stuff. And on top of that, you start taking choice stories from the comic books and you're adapting those to tell your overall arching story. You make Dr. Doom the villain. You don't uh, uh, destroy him in the first outing. You make him the scary big bad that exists somewhere, you know, out in the ether there that is always there manipulating things. You end up forming the evil Illuminati even. You know, you get him and the Kingpin and, I don't know, throw in, you know, a bunch of cool villains, Hobgoblin or the Green Goblin. And, you know, you you get uh, uh, basically the mirror opposite of the the uh the heroes illuminati and then you you know you bring in the red skull again you make him survive and you bring him into a uh, modern day and and he's you know haunting captain america you, you and 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 you make all this stuff with the idea that you're catering to like 13 and up so that Parents can take their kids to these movies and they can enjoy it together as a family. And there's no weird, awkward, you know, sub uh, messaging going on, some social engineering. You, you clear all that out and you just start to tell stories again. If you, I think if Marvel were to do that and Star Wars were to do that, they would see themselves hugely rewarded by the fandom i mean the amount of money that they would be making would be insane it would be a golden age again of all this stuff and we're here for it we want it marvel lucasfilm we want this we love your ip it's so fun and exciting and you know you can see how easy you can burn it all down to the ground and I'm telling you, there is a path forward where how you can make all this stuff exciting again. And can you imagine if Marvel tomorrow decided to take care of this, just do this, and then at the same time, we're getting high-quality stuff coming out of the DCU with James Gunn, and we've got high-quality stuff coming out of uh, you know Disney Marvel. I, it's just... It's a win-win. The pie is so big. The, there's enough pie for everybody. It doesn't have to be crazy competition. The, they can both say nice things about one another, and everybody can win. I don't see it happening. You know, and In that sense, I'm a pessimist. It bums me out, but there's always hope. Anyway, um, on a side note, I... Uh, I'm not going to throw any names out there. I, you know, I, I don't think that would be respectful or it just, it feels weird, but I do want to say there's a, there's a friend of mine, um, a long, long time, uh, really good friend, loved friend who is uh, dealing with some family stuff right now um, with a, a really beloved family member, somebody who's really close to our family. So I just wanted to say, you know, we love you guys and um, so sorry that, you're having to deal, you know, having to deal with this, this medical thing, this, this unknown. It's it's scary, but please know that we are definitely praying for you guys. You are in our hearts. Uh, 
my wife will be putting out the bat, bat signal at church as well as keeping it, you know, keeping it under wraps, uh, keeping it anonymous. But to my buddy and, and his kiddos and, and, uh, everybody, I just, uh, we just want to say, we love you guys. Um, we're here for you. If you need anything, please reach out and, uh, whatever we can do, uh, uh, we'll try to make it happen. Um, so yeah, just guys, I know it's ambiguous, but if you have a moment to throw out some prayers for, for my friend, you can, you know, do, do it through me. Just, you know, a Hispanic's buddy, uh, who's, who's going through some family stuff right now. And, uh, so with that, I want to say, uh, thank you to everybody. I, I love you guys. I, I appreciate, uh, your time, uh, here. Uh, please share this uh, out to everyone. Please talk about it. Uh, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter all the time, trolling. I love it. Uh, a Hispanard. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, thank you guys so much. I love you. Take your vitamins, drink your water, eat your vegetables. I will talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>